It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Just like that, the final hour is here. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. Chad, we've got uh, plenty to discuss. There's always hubbub lines. around Clay Travis, by the way. You notice that? Like, yeah. There's always a, it's like an event. You know, it's like sweeping, well, it's sweeping a, people out the yeah, door, like yeah. coming in, people coming in, people coming out. It's a lot, a lot of stuff. Well, I mean, at wait, least Katie hung around to, to hang yeah. out with us after that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's off to the next interview. Right. Wait, he has no idea where he's headed. He said, "Clay's very good about not knowing his schedule." And then we'll find out. Like it, it, Clay, we found out where we were staying. Like, as we're boarding the flight, basically. Yeah. Right? Yep. That's uh, He's a last-minute guy. But he, but he gets, gets it done. It done. He, he gets talk, it done. He talked about that work ethic. So, the NFL owners meetings are coming up next week. And I would have presumed it's a prime time to discuss Daniel Snyder and the potential sale, the future sale, of the Washington Commanders. But according to uh, Daniel Kaplan at The Athletic, a, a vote or owner briefing regarding the sale will not be discussed. I don't know why that would not be on the agenda at an NFL owners meeting, uh, the annual big one where they vote through. Um, for instance, they're going to they're going to flex or they're going to vote to flex Thursday night football games because the matchups were so horrendous this past year. They're going to vote on rules changes that the rules committee has has provided. Um, but rather that the league spring meeting in Minnesota, which is coming up in May, it seems like that's more likely the time and place to discuss it. And I think that's probably because they think they're going to have the ownership group that's going to purchase Snyder's team. And of course, we've, we've mentioned uh, Harris, Josh Harris, who owns the Philadelphia 76ers. He's a part of the New Jersey Devils or is the sole owner of the New Jersey Devils. He's also from the Washington, D.C. area, and he's put in a bid, and um, I, I believe that Magic Johnson has jumped in on that too yeah. with him. So that's intriguing, right? And it, even with the Broncos, it wasn't just Walton. There are different people involved in that ownership group as well. I think by mid-May, late May, they're going to vote on the next owner of the Washington Commanders. That's got, there has to be some type of resolution there because there was way too much discussion about it the last time they got together when Jim Ursay came out and made the comments. It's odd because, first off, is it the agenda written in stone? I mean, it's not on the agenda right now. Is that everything in that agenda of what's going to be discussed and you can't deviate from that at all or you can't add anything in? Because I'm with you, Hutton. It feels very strange that you would not be talking about one of your historic banner organizations going up for sale at an owner's meeting. Yeah, but they also have the the federal investigation, like yeah. the FBI looking into the organization. So they also are waiting on that. And that may also be what is going to be put out there and finalized by late May. Because that's been going on a while, too. There's a lot. So uh, the- Well, it's, it's going to be fascinating to follow who's going to join that club. 
when a, when a team comes for sale like this, it's always interesting to me to say, okay, now who jumps in that club mm-hmm. of 32 that has an NFL franchise? And we've already seen some huge names that are going to be in the bidding. Well, Forbes has them uh, valued at $5.6 billion. And, the, and bi- the Broncos just sold for four point eight, yes. which was the biggest sell ever. The big winner, other than Daniel Snyder, you know, he's going to lose the team and he's going to sell for five point six billion. Now, who knows the legalities of the other things that are being investigated? The Seattle Seahawks, because Paul Allen's trust is uh, they in his will they gave practically everything to charity, and the group now that's running the Seattle Seahawks, they've already said, like, there, there will come a point in time where we're going to have to put the franchise up for sale. And I believe it's coming up next year or a year and a half from now when we'll be talking about the Seahawks. They're next in line. And then who knows, right? Will the Seahawks automatically sell for more than the Commanders just because the next team? I, I mean, I or will it? I think so, the, yeah. The, the Commanders were always one of those teams that surprised everyone when you saw their valuation when Forbes right. does the value of all these pro sports franchises. They're way higher on the list than anyone would expect. So that huge number does not shock me. But I wonder now if it's just a timing game. That if you're just the next one, you're gonna. It's like the offensive lineman, you know, Laramie Tunsil signs for the richest contract. Well, it's because he's the next guy up. Is well, there, it's the next team up just going to sell for more well, from here to eternity? But think or about are Washington. There, is Washington, someone going to go down? They don't have a stadium right now. Yeah, you know, they've got a dump for a stadium, and they want a new build. Um, and nothing's going to get resolved with Snyder running the organization, but you're buying the organization plus you're going to be involved in a new stadium build on a different property. Now, chances are the negotiations for that will go smoother because there will be new ownership in there. But at least in Seattle, you've got everything taken care of when you buy the franchise. And it's been nice a very stadium. successful, uh, great fan base, loyal. Really good fan base. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think it'll be sole ownership the next one. of an entire region of the country with yeah. your team. Yeah. You know, there's no team in Portland. You own the Pacific Northwest with the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, it's maybe six Billy Hutton when all said and done. If we're going from 5.8, maybe that'll be. be the first six billion team. Elijah Moore just traded to the Cleveland Browns from New York with the Jets. And he's talking uh, that he's excited to team up with Deshaun Watson on the field. He's a legit quarterback. It's someone that has been doing some amazing things around the league. He has respect from everybody around the league. They talk really highly about him here, and they believe in him. And, man, with him being my quarterback, I believe in him too. That from Elijah Moore. Now, uh, keep in mind, um, on the field, this dude is awesome. Watson. Off the field, that's tough to say everybody around the league loves this guy. Because that's not true. It's uh, revisionist history, I would say. Right? It's almost, You're just you're, – you're, you're preferring to omit a very big part of the Deshaun Watson story over the last two years and what's gone on. And even before that, I, I would say the Houston Texans don't, don't respect Deshaun Watson for how for he sure. handled things. What and about then, the players then he there? got into the legal en- entanglements, yep. which is a problem. I guarantee you there's some teammates that don't respect Deshaun Watson with the Texans. So I, I would not go that far if I were Elijah Moore. But also, Deshaun Watson was great on the field. We still need to see that again with Cleveland. We're talking two years away from the game and he came back and he was not the same. Lamar Jackson is trying to negotiate a contract on his own, quote unquote, on his own. 
he definitely has representatives calling around, just like Laramie Tunsil did, uh, despite Tunsil being regarded as a player representing himself with the contract. Um, the league has put out another warning to teams to not talk to the quarterback's representative because he's not approved through the NFLPA. And, I mean, there's a purgatory aspect to this now because he wants to get another offer that's higher than what Baltimore last offered him. And in order to do that, he's trying to spark momentum by getting it out that he's, he's calling teams. But when word gets out that it's someone behind the scenes, like St. Omni, for instance, who has done this for Laramie Tunsil, uh, and, Every and, time you say St. Omni, I think you're talking about a hotel. No. That, I can't believe this is an actual person. It's a guy, and he, he, where are you staying in New York? Oh, the St. Omni is where we're going to be. It's he a was great also, luxury hotel. Roquan Smith, you know, he, he was the – St. Omni was calling teams about the specifics of the trade and what was going to be needed to get him to Baltimore. Is he like the World Wide West of football? Yeah, kind of, I guess, yeah. But I don't know if that's the guy that's with Lamar. Um, and, and, Chad, we said, like – Throughout this process, I think he's played it well. And who's the guy with LeBron? Now. Rich Paul. That's another Rich guy. Paul. That's yeah. that's kind of a. But they, he's now handler. his agent, though. Yeah, he's an agent now, but he's sort of a. He was known as a handler, you know, for LeBron and other players. This this must be Saint Omni at this point. But the NFL uh, said this to be clear. Mr. Jackson is currently not represented by an NFLPA certified agent, and Jackson responded to the league's memo and said, "Stop lying. That man never tried to negotiate for me." saying that there's no one that's actually trying to do this. I don't know how else he – I mean, he can pick up the phone and call organizations. Uh, they can do it with him too. But he needs someone calling around to buzz – create that buzz, the momentum. Make Baltimore think that there's an offer coming that they're not going to be able to match. Well, I guess it shouldn't seem so odd to me that someone would just pick up the phone and call directly the person they want to hire right, or the person they want to bring to their organization. But there's something just very strange about – Hey, I'm the owner of, you know, the Tennessee Titans or the Green Bay Packers or the Chicago Bears, and I'm just going to call. What's Lamar's cell phone number? He doesn't have an agent. So I'm just going to call him up and say, right. hey, we want to talk about you joining our team. What will it take? It's just it's weird to think about dealing directly with an NFL quarterback. Austin Eckler wants to get a contract or be traded. I'm so underpaid right now as far as my contract and what I contribute to the team. That was the quote that he gave uh, with Chris Long on the Going Green podcast. Chad, he's right. He's absolutely right. He's playing, he catches a lot of passes. Oh, he's playing a position that's not paid well at running back anymore compared to the other uh, skilled spots. But what he does is he gives you 100 catches to go along with all the yards. And here's the real kicker. Most touchdowns scored combined over the last two seasons. Joe Mixon has scored 25. Devontae Adams has also scored 25 touchdowns. James Conner has scored 26. And Austin Eckler has 38 to lead the league over the last two years. He is their offense. And Herbert drives the car. And it's points on the board with Austin Eckler. And that's pretty much it on a consistent basis. So if he's got any leverage, it's right now before Herbert gets the second contract and they're really hamstrung on the cap. Now's the time to cash in. It's very similar to A.J. Brown last year. If you want it out, demand the trade. You want to get paid. 
But in this case, I don't think the Chargers can trade him if they're going to be competitive and actually win in a window where they have Herbert on the rookie deal. And it's every good running back in the league, you could argue, is underpaid. Because the position just doesn't have the value it once had. And there's From others a pay can, scale standpoint. And, and, and teams feel like they can find similar production right. quickly. People are going to immediately you know, take shots at, well, look how many millions of dollars he's making. You, know, you can't mm-hmm. say you're underpaid when you make millions. It's, it's relative. He's talking about the market for what a wide receiver or a tight end that's tops in the league with that production might get paid. And how he's a hybrid position – of what he does at running back for them and how many things. I understand what he's saying, and he's probably right, but I think the response would be, well, then don't play running back. Yeah. Like, just go well, back. I mean, I know you're very short, and you probably couldn't play receiver, but, you know, go back and play a different position because this is what running backs are getting paid now. And the scale is not the same as it was. You'd be better off being a top-level pass rusher or wide receiver or quarterback than being this position. And that's sort of the sad reality of it. You know, the 1980s, it would have been very different for a top running back in the NFL. Not sure. the case in the 2020s. No doubt. Uh, here is Austin Eckler speaking on the Going Green podcast about this. I feel like there's no timeline. Yeah. Like, look, man, like I'm, I'm so underpaid right now yeah. as far as my contract and what I contribute to the team. It's like I am relentlessly pursuing this. Like, yeah. I, I want to get something long-term done. I want a team that wants me long-term. Yeah. Right? Because, look, I, I'm at the peak of my game, right? Like, yeah. I'm, I'm going to score you another 20 touchdowns. As long as I'm healthy, I'm going to score you 20 touchdowns. I'm going to have, you know, another 1,600 all-purpose yards. Yeah. Right? I'm getting half my value of what I could be getting. Yeah. Right? So it's like I am relentlessly pursuing someone who wants me. Yeah. And he's right. And his contract, like, I think of Christian McCaffrey. You know, he did a little bit of everything, too. And he got paid big. But then, you know, he goes down the injury rabbit hole and he ends up in San Francisco. And guess what? He stayed healthy after the trade by Carolina. But I, I just don't see the Chargers in the same boat. Hit us up with your thoughts. Outkick 360 is where you can find us on social. Uh, tonight, Chad, we've got Alabama, San Diego State, and then Princeton and Creighton, the two games in Louisville. Uh, Trey Wallace is there, and we'll have full coverage from the NCAA tournament. And that those, by the way, are on TBS. On CBS, Miami and Houston at 7-15, followed by Xavier and Texas out in Kansas City. Great games. Yeah, they are. Once Good again, matchups. You, you, but the spreads seem a bit Yeah, I, uh, we, uh, we talked about it with Todd heavy. Furman, but I, I don't – I think the Bama spread is about where it needs to be, but I think that Miami spread with Houston – Yep. A little bit too much, and I'd say the same for Creighton-Princeton tonight as well. So we'll have our, our picks later on. But um, there are no bad matchups once you get to the Sweet 16. Second round now is becoming that, too. You still have some, right. some duds in the first round. But, I mean, the first round of the NCAA tournament, we're seeing more and more surprises because there's, there's really good parity. There's good players And the portal everywhere. has allowed that to happen. Portal's allowed it to happen. Guys that uh, – you know, are going from the bigger level down to maybe a smaller level yeah. that have the ability of everyone they're playing against. Guys who are under-recruited going play. I mean, systems are being built. You know, there are older teams that are mid-majors that play together longer, and they're in an, at an advantage in this tournament. So I think all that makes it fun. And we're going to have some fun games tonight. And there will be a surprise tonight. Mark my words. We think it's going to be chalky in terms of the lines and what we're expecting. I have, I have a feeling there's going to be at least one big surprise. Miami? Could be. Uh, against Houston in that Could game. Again, uh, 7-15 tip-off there on CBS. Uh, tomorrow's 
times have been announced for the Elite Eight. Kansas State FAU, 6-10 tip-off time on TBS, both games on TBS. And UConn-Gonzaga, the nightcap starting at 8.50 Eastern. That's going to be a great game. Coach Scott Spinelli is about to join us. We're going to dive into the matchups for tonight. And we will discuss the parity that we've seen across the bracket this year and what we've seen across, really, the, the top 25 all season. That's next on Outkick 360. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Sweet 16 delivered last night and some good matchups uh, set to tip off just around the corner. What, in about an hour or so, uh, Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. Pleased to be joined by Coach Scott Spinelli. He's the host of The Breakdown on Believe. Scott, thank you so much, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Fun time of year, isn't it, guys? Absolutely. You're a longtime assistant coach at places like Nebraska and Wichita State and Wyoming and, and many others like Maryland and Boston College. And you, you were known for recruiting, finding, finding the recruits, the diamonds in the rough that then really changed their overall game to an NBA level over their course of the college basketball career. Unranked recruits, at least five of them, you sent to the NBA from three different programs. I'm curious now, from your perspective, Scott, is it much easier to do that based on the open transfer portal, or does it make it more difficult? Well, look, first of all, I had a lot of help in that process, right? There were a lot of other coaches working with me, um, and I was grateful for that. But to, to answer your question, I, I think there's opportunities now for coaches to go out and evaluate players, to your point, whether it's in the transfer portal, uh, whether it's on the road recruiting, um, and find those diamonds in the rough in both areas. Um, I, look, I'm a guy that's used to going on the road, watching AAU tournaments, watching high school games, watching workouts, and by that, really kind of trying to project a student-athlete's potential in their future uh, in doing so. However, now with this landscape changing, uh, the transfer portal is going to require a lot more video and film, et cetera. But I think you can do it both ways to answer your question. And how much um, of the quick turnaround with these recruits in the, in the portal are we seeing right now in the tournament where, of course, you have uh, Kansas State, you know, that has the great turnaround from last year to this year to pick last in the Big 12. And Jerome Tang has this group through the portal that has completely reshaped the program. They're headed to the Elite Eight. Are we going to see more of this parity as we move forward in the NCAA tournament for years to come? 
I think so. I think right now you're looking at also a COVID effect, right? With a lot of the student athletes in college were given an extra year of eligibility. Um, and because of that, there's a lot of older experienced players dispersed through college. Um, but, but again, I think there's two ways to look at this. If you're putting a team together, you always have the opportunity to go into the transfer portal and try to recruit older guys. Every coach wants to get older in college. There's a big difference, as you guys know, of a 23, 24, 25-year-old young man versus an 18, 19-year-old kid. And I think that's part of the mindset that a lot of the coaches and schools, uh, you know, are really trying to look at here. But for me, and I do think this, there is still those cultured programs, those programs that are built on balance in their recruiting classes, uh, you know, the camaraderie, the chemistry, the school spirit that's created when kids come up from their freshman all the way through their senior year um, with a sprinkle of transfers in there. Uh, I think to me, that's the formula. But again, we're looking at K-State right now who did it um, and just put a team together. Be interesting to see what happens next year. A lot of these guys are gone um, as opposed to a, a program like a Gonzaga or UCLA or a Princeton. Um, you know, those kids have come come up usually through the classes. And I would think the most frustrating part of it for, for a guy like you, Scott, you know, you're coaching at American, let's say, and you go find a diamond in the rough and you know he's going to be a great player, turns out to be a great player, and a year later, Syracuse comes calling. And now with an open transfer portal, you got to be thinking if you're at some of these smaller programs, man, I went out and found this kid, believed in him, gave him a scholarship, performed well, but now the Power Five conference schools – are coming in and trying to take him from me, th that to me would be the most frustrating part. And that's a level where you coached. Yeah, to, and I think you add to the NIL side of that, right? Some of these bigger universities have a lot bigger opportunity in terms of offering the name, image, likeness for the kids. But I do think this, the key is going to be for a coach now more than ever especially guys who have been in the profession, who have established a tremendous network uh, with great relationships, is for you as a coach to really be involved in your student athletes on a day-to-day -day basis and make them understand, not only do you care about them in terms of their performance on the field or on the court, uh, but also as a person, I think it's so important right now, those relationships, staying connected. Um, you look at Coach Tang here. Uh, look, I recruited against Coach Tang for many years. We actually uh, were at Texas A&M when he was at Baylor. And, you know, you'd go on the road and you'd see each other. Um, but when you've been on the road a long time, you understand how important it is to build these relationships. And I think that's going to be the key at places like uh, the lower level schools. Um, and then for you also to have credibility as a coach to say, you know what? Uh, I have a path or we have a path that we're putting you on to try to reach your goals, both academically and athletically. And it's one thing to talk about it. But if you've been there as an older, experienced coach, I think that makes your argument in terms of keeping the student athlete at a mid-major a lot more powerful. How impressed were you with UConn's just dismantling of Arkansas last night in the Sweet 16? Well, they surprised me. I really thought coming into that game, I thought Arkansas, with a little prep time, was really going to focus in on trying to create some offense through their defense. 
and they really did not do that. I mean, UConn last night throttled them. Um, they were very comfortable. They were playing at an exceptional, uh, exceptionally high level on both ends of the floor. And really, Arkansas didn't offer much resistance throughout the entire game, which surprised me a little bit. But again, guys, as you know, uh, you know, these are college kids, they're kids. And when you have a, a, a really emotional high like they did beating uh, you know, a Kansas team. And just, I think that happened to Tennessee a little bit too in beating Duke, you know, there's an emotional letdown. And I think we saw some of that last night. I don't think we saw Arkansas's best shot, but you got to turn your attention to UConn right now. They're extremely talented, ridiculously talented. They're deep. They've got a lot of different weapons. They've got great size. They're playing with a lot of confidence right now. And you got to really tip your hat to coach Hurley, his staff, and obviously their entire team. Scott Spinelli, our guest on Outkick 360. Uh, the Breakdown is the podcast that you can check out with Believe. Scott, so uh, great guard play, right, throughout the the tournament. Gonzaga and what they're doing seems to be more of the exception to the rule, and that's the next matchup, Gonzaga and UConn. UConn can beat you in different ways. What's the matchup like for UConn against Timmy? And at some point, does the guard play – get Gonzaga at some point as they move towards the final four? I think you hit the nail on the head. I really agree with that. I think to really uh, get through these latter rounds, you know, into the elite eight, obviously you're seeing it with Norwell and Kansas state uh, and get to the final four, your guard play is so important. Um, and again, I do think Gonzaga has an advantage you know, overall in terms of their guard play uh, versus UConn. But uh, I will say this, you know, from from UConn standpoint, uh, they're going into this game. They just, you know, destroyed a good Arkansas team. Their confidence is going to be through the roof. Um, and I think it's going to be a storyline in this game. And that is, again, if Gonzaga can get out, create some offense through their defense. I think if they're pressuring the ball, any great defense, man-to-man starts with pressure on the ball. If they get their guards up into the ball and they make it a little bit harder and give UConn a little bit more resistance, um, I think that's going to be kind of the storyline. But I do think, guys, this is Gonzaga's year. Every time, you know, Gonzaga has come into the tournament, uh, at least most recently, they've had that one seed or two seed. And I think, Again, you're talking about kids and the pressure, the stage. Uh, as soon as they get into a tight game with adversity, I think it affected Gonzaga in previous years, whereas this year there's no real expectations. They're coming in, they're loose, they're having fun. Yes, they're playing every possession like it's their last. Timmy right now is playing as good as anybody in the tournament. Um, and I do think there's something magical right now happening with Gonzaga as it relates to, to this year. So you mentioned K-State earlier. They went a classic last night at the Garden over Michigan State. Florida Atlantic looked like Tennessee had the game sort of being played the way they wanted, up six with 12 minutes left, and it was all owls from that point forward. That's a guard-dominated team also. What do you think about Florida Atlantic, what you've seen, with only three losses all season, and that matchup with Kansas State we're going to see tomorrow? Well, let's go to last night. Uh, you had a Tennessee team that physically – was bigger, stronger, probably every position. Um, and yet you saw a Florida Atlantic team who out-rebounded them significantly. And I think that was kind of, you know, the, the thing that stood out to me, and that is this. Florida Atlantic was by far the most determined team to win last night. 
Um, you know, they just played, um, you know, whatever it took to impact winning. Uh, their guys did. Yes, they're very well drilled defensively. They switch on screens to increase pressure, which, you know, again, great pressure on the ball. Their closeout technique, one pass away, two pass away. Excellent. Um, but again, I think uh, you judge rebounding by effort and going after the ball and your will. And I think their will last night was bigger than Tennessee's. And again, you cannot measure in a statistic uh, an athlete or a team's will to win. That's the most deceptive thing to me in sports, especially in basketball in the tournament. And right now, Florida Atlantic's will to win, guys, is at a high, high level. I would not be surprised if they upset K-State in this game. Scott Spinelli with us, longtime assistant coach in college basketball. And the, the Certainly, the when it comes to breaking down the film of the next opponent in the tournament, it's a group effort. But you would split it off, right? You for the the long scout, the next scout for the upcoming schedule. How would you explain the scout against Alabama and how you go about beating them? Is there a formula, or is it just you have to be at your very best, and Alabama needs to be a little off? Well, first of all, you bring up a great point, and I think that's what makes the NCAA tournament fun. Certain teams come into this tournament with an identity on both ends, and they're not going to change. It doesn't matter who they play. Purdue, for example, they play their way, and if you try to change up on them, you know, and it's a favorable matchup for your team, I think that's kind of why you can get beat also, um, is you don't make those adjustments, you don't change. Um, to your point with Alabama, I think, number one, um, I think you've got to make sure your transition defense is at a premium. Look, one of the reasons why Virginia is so good defensively is as soon as the ball is shot, meaning Virginia shoots the ball, they send sometimes three, almost four guys back on defense. And so they give up the offensive rebound, not give it up, but there's not a lot of offensive rebounds uh, in there as opposed to taking away the other team's transition, fast break, easy baskets. If you can put Alabama into the half court, and yes, they are very capable, they're very talented, but you've got to take away transition. You've got to value the basketball. And I think offensively, because they're so talented, you've got to change sides of the floor with the ball and really move the basketball. Do not be stagnant. And, and again, I think that's something that will happen in this game. But here's what I will tell you. San Diego State, guys, is rugged. They're physical. They're a team that's built to kind of play against a team with this kind of talent. Um, and what stands out to me in this game, what's going to kind of be the storyline, what will happen when adversity hits versus Alabama with all those distractions? Because guys, adversity will hit in this game. San Diego State is going to challenge Alabama and give them everything they possibly can to win this game. And that to me is the storyline. Will Alabama break apart or will they stay really connected? Can Miami do that to Houston? I think Houston right now is the most complete team. And to your point, if you look at Drake and how they guarded Miami, they were up underneath them. They pressured the ball. Uh, again, very physical. Um, and I think you take Houston's roster even bigger, more athletic, deeper. I think that's going to be the storyline. If Miami you know, plays like they did against Drake, against that Houston defense, um, and then Houston has Sasser healthy. They're very complete offensively. 
Again, the only reason why Miami, Miami moved on was because of the press. They created some offense through their defense late in that game. Uh, I do think Houston right now, guys, is the most dangerous team if Sasser's healthy. What kind of chance do you give Princeton to continue this run they've been on so far? And how about the Tigers? Uh, wins over Arizona and dominating win, not, not just by a little, a lot throughout the entire game against Missouri. Well, look, they've got four guys, and I don't think I've ever seen this in college basketball. You have four guys that have made 60 or more three-pointers on the season, um, and that's that's a lot of firepower from the three-point line. Uh, look, they play a style um, which can really lull you to sleep, meaning um, they could score late in the clock in possessions, and all of a sudden now you come down and you want to shoot quick and you miss, and now you've got to come back down the other end and guard that offensive with the great spacing with all those shooters and the movement, you've got to guard them for 30 plus seconds. And that's kind of the formula that can deflate a team very quickly. However, Creighton can play fast. They can play slow. They're very well disciplined. They've got six guys on their roster who have made 20 or more threes. So they've got what it takes again, who shoots the three ball well in this game and then who defends the three-point line will have a lot to do with the outcome. Again, guys, I think Creighton right now um, in a very good game, close game, uh, gets by Princeton. And speaking of the Big East, uh, Coach Scott Spinelli with us. How about the two hires throughout the week? It has been the Big East's week with Patino and Ed Cooley jumping in as well to the conference. And with Cooley's, in Cooley's regard, headed to Georgetown from Providence, Patino's, of course, at St. John's. Seems like two good fits. Well, Coach Cooley, look, guys, he's a very good basketball coach, very underrated. I mean, when you say underrated, he's obviously proven himself and done an unbelievable job. But, you know, I've, we've gone against him many years, whether it was at Maryland, Boston College, et cetera. Uh, excellent coach. He gets his guys to play to their strengths. That He gets their guys. He gets his guys to play with a lot of passion and motivation. So I think he'll do really well. Look, I, I think Coach Patino, is, it's a great story. I, I, look, I'm going through this myself as a coach. Um, when you're kind of knocked off the path of college coaching, when you've done it all these years, you go down a path and you basically say, look, I'm either going to move into a different you know, job, uh, move on with my life, or I'm going to get better as a coach. I'm going to learn more and I'm going to be more fiery or even that much more passionate, if that can possibly be, uh, with Coach Patino. Look, he's already a Hall of Famer. But I think he's coming back with unbelievable passion and energy. I think his knowledge has grown. When you're out of the game, sometimes you take a step back and you learn so much. I've done the same thing. But I can tell you guys, I think his, you know, his energy, his fire, and his passion uh, is at an all-time high. And I think they're going to do huge, I mean, big things at St. John's. Coach Scott Spinelli has been our guest. Great analysis. We look forward to checking out the breakdown as well at Believe. And, uh, again, thank you for the time as we preview the matchups tonight that are about to tip off. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. Absolutely. Appreciate you. Enjoy the Have weekend. Have a great man. weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, uh, Coach uh, Scott Spinelli there, Believe, with a great podcast network uh, across the board. And specifically with uh, Scott's, check out the breakdown. You can also check out all of the audio, all of the shows at outkick.com, and that includes the Kurt Schilling baseball show. New episode dropped today. And you've got Trout, Otani, the finish at the World Baseball Classic. 
He's uh, Kurt Schilling is, is breaking that down, plus taking a look at the upcoming baseball season. Every Tuesday and Friday, you've got the Kurt Schilling Baseball Show at OutKick.com. Head over to the tab, hit Shows. Easy to find there, and I believe it's still at the top of the site. Yeah, refreshing it. You can just click the link at the top of the site as well. Chad, we have our bet the board picks. Last night was not kind. It was not we, kind to us. We won our FAU pick. They covered. Should have picked them on the money line, but yes. they, they covered. Um, Arkansas did not. Arkansas did not. <laughs> uh, they, they did not do well. Uh, did we win another pick? Were we two and two or one and three? I think we were one and three. Yeah. Well, tonight we go three and one That's or right. four and zero. Oh. We've got the picks coming up, and we will also give our predictions for what will be the storyline we're talking about on Monday. As we know, the final four will be set. That's all straight ahead on Outkick Three Sixty. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Wrapping up what's been a fun show, our thanks to Fox and Clay for hosting us. Brian Kilmeade as well, letting us use the studio. Um, great job by Chris and Corey today. We appreciate you guys. Yeah. Busting Awesome. Up. Good vibe in the studio with these guys. No doubt. No doubt. You need a good vibe. We're in a, we're in a tight, we confined need to, space for three hours, and you got to have a good vibe in the room, and these guys are always a good vibe. Chad, um, we did go, let's see, two and two. Yesterday, so FAU won, and what was our other win? Kansas oh. State money line. Okay, Kansas nice. State money line. We need a big night tonight. Let's go four zero. Let's go. Let's bet the board tonight uh, in the final half of the Sweet Sixteen for the right to play for the Elite Eight. San Diego State meets up against Alabama. That's in about what forty five minutes away from tip off. There, the, the, the one hour time change gets me every time. I don't know why it's so hard for me to figure out, yeah. but I'm, I'm looking at my computer and on Twitter, everything was, is like registered to central time. And I'm like, Oh man, that game's playing. No, wait a minute. It's six 30 oh. here. I'm like, has it started <laughs> All right, No, it's actually an hour ahead. It's I, one hour. And every time it, it just flips me out. That, that game uh, in Louisville, that's where Trey Wallace is. And he'll have full coverage there. Plus post game coverage at outkick.com. Uh, seven 15 is the tip off on CBS, Miami and Houston. Princeton and Creighton, the second game in Louisville following Alabama and San Diego State. And Texas Xavier will tip off at 945 Eastern, uh, that game on CBS. Chad, let's hear him. Who are, who are we going with tonight? Let's get four winners. So let me, let me see here. What, what did we pick? Alabama minus 7.5 in the first game. Love that. We went with that. We're going Miami plus that big number against it's Houston. 7.5. Seven and a half also. I think that's a closer game. Tempted to pick Miami on the money line, but did not straight away from that. But Miami in the points. Princeton, 
Ten-and-a-half-point underdog. Take the points there with Princeton. I think they cover that, and it's a closer game than that. And uh, Texas, minus three-and-a-half, going with the Longhorns against Xavier. Hutton, of my confidence scale, I think I'm the least confident in that Texas pick. But I firmly believe in the other ones. Texas. So here is, we go. Let's win. Texas is riding some momentum, though. They've had a, a very solid season. Oh, they've been great. Considering what they went through, too. Like, we – we mentioned that Bama. How nothing is, has how distracted is Alabama. Terry not their full-time head coach already. That, that, certainly, that, I, I'm reading reports today that he is he he's being sought after by Penn State and Cal to be their head coach. And I'm thinking, how has Texas not just named him the head coach with the job he's done? And if not him, inheriting that mess, who would they lose after? your coach? Who would they be after? Are they trying to lure someone out Jay of retirement? Wright? Yeah, I mean, I. I mean, that would be the one, okay, if you think you're going to get Jay Wright, then but, go ahead. Uh, can you get rid of him after he has a potential run to the Elite Eight or Final Four? No, I, mean, I don't it, think you can. I, well, I think look, he's, if he's you, earned the gig now. If you have Jay Wright on hold and he's going to take the job, then uh, you, you could do that and say, well, we're hiring a guy who's won two national titles, sure. so we're going we're gonna to move up, even though Coach Terry did a great job. But I raise the question because I'm shocked to see that we're actually talking about him leaving for Penn State. And then you remember, oh, he's still the interim coach, and they haven't removed that tag from him. Shocking to me with what he's done this season. And the players have responded to him. Yes. I mean, that to me speaks volumes within the athletic department. Well, I he's would earned, want he's earned the head coaching opportunity, I believe. At what, Texas. What's the storyline, Chad, that we're talking about on Monday? So last week I actually got it right. I said we're going to have multiple number one seeds out yep. in the first weekend, and that happened with, with Kansas and, and Arkansas. Um I think it's going to be very chalky. It's the opposite this week. I think with the games remaining, we're going to get exactly what we expect. Alabama is going to roll through their region and and get to the Final Four. I think this is the weekend where expectations are met. Last weekend was about surprise. I don't think there's many surprises left. I think Kansas State beats FAU I do too. in this East Regional tomorrow. Miami could be the storyline, though. I think Gonzaga-UConn is going to be a game for the ages, whoever wins that one. But I, I, I think we're going to see, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be more talk about Alabama being dominant. I think they're going to roll right through this part of the bracket. And Kansas State and Noel. He's yeah, about, and, I think he has another great performance tomorrow. Yeah, and he's kind of on a you know a Kimba Walker like run yeah, yeah, through is. the garden, you know, and uh, being from New York City, and his performance broke the all time NCAA tournament record for assist in a game last night at the Garden. So I, I think yes, we're going to see more of that on Saturday. And the the no look oop for the dunk to give the two point lead with a minute left in overtime, where he's looking at the coach. Uh, and uh, Tang is like arguing with him, like trying to tell him to play. And it's a set play where a guy cuts back door, and it was just a beautiful pass, no look. That's he a, is a, to me, he is a showman. A, I love it. Yeah. Um, I, see, Side note on basketball plays, I love this deal now where they do like the football play on the out of bounds. Yeah. Have you seen this on the on the inline? Yes. Where they line five guys up out of bounds, and they they're almost like running routes. Like one guy it's, will stay, and they might pass it to that guy. They got that idea from watching the Chiefs within the huddle when they do the, you know, the full circle deal where yeah. they move around. We had a play in high school where I, I would throw it to someone out of bounds. You know, you would throw it. Someone would go out of bounds. You'd throw it to the opposite end. Then the inbound play would start that way. If it was a press, you were having a hard time break. 
But the key to that was you hit the guy to be fully out of bounds. If he was crossing over, it's out of bounds. And I once watched a team lose that way. They turned the ball over with five seconds left because the guy's feet weren't fully out of bounds. They oh. tried that play, and you're just throwing it to someone that's half in, half out, and it's out of bounds. So uh, tomorrow's Elite Eight games, Kansas State, FAU, we're, we're taking K-State there, and UConn-Gonzaga. Um, Give me the Zags. Is that a pick em? I haven't looked at a line yet to know, but uh, it's going to be a very tight line. I'm guessing and UConn. I, I'm taking the over, too. UConn may be a slight favorite in that game. Maybe. Zags as underdogs. It's a perfect bet. Yep. It's an easy layup right there. Zags on the money line. Um, so uh, we mentioned earlier this week the uh, the play in Dallas with the Mavericks where they thought they were getting the ball, speaking of baseline and inbounds. So they're down at the other end of the floor, on their end of the floor. Meanwhile, the Warriors are at their end of the floor. They were told it was their basketball. Dallas was told it was the Mavs' ball. And so they're at opposite ends, and the ref just hands the ball for an inbounds play, and they get a free two points on an easy lay-in. And it's a two-point game. Warriors win. That was a third-quarter play, but they win by two. Uh, Luka Doncic, right after that play, went up to the ref and did like the money sign, rubbing the fingers together. He's been fined thirty-five thousand dollars for that. Oh my gosh! But but the maybe that was him telling the future. He was doing the the money sign because that's what he was going to be paying the league. Maybe so. Thirty-five grand. But the error that that Cuban is uh, uh, alleging here. And he can file, and I think Adam Silver has like five days or something from the time that he files the complaint. I mean, it's not like they're going to overturn something massive. But the NBA does put out, for the most part, um, a transparent final two-minute report. You know, yeah. And then they'll also put out a transparent review of that play. I'm eager to see what happens. But finding him thirty five grand is, I mean, they, uh, they continue to let <laughs> – I mean, John Morant had an eight-game suspension. And uh, part of it was time, you know, time already served while he's down in Florida, right? At the uh, at the treatment facility. Treatment facility, and in this case, Don, I mean, Doncic has the cash, but thirty-five grand for that is uh, weak. Yeah, considering that and play, it's just such an odd play that the refs would not alert the other team that was, they clearly know what they're doing, and they decided to inbound it anyway. We are back at it on Monday. Hope back you'll join Nashville us on across the Outkick Network. We start at three o'clock Eastern. Live stream and on this great radio partner, three to six Eastern is where you can find us for Outkick 360. In the meantime, hit us up on social. Check out Outkick.com for the very latest on the NCAA tournament and so much more. Catch you Monday right here for Outkick 360.